Welcome to the Do One Better podcast, where every week I focus on philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi, and I hope you'll enjoy the podcast. Keep on listening if you want to improve the world. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome on board Joanne Pasternak. Joanne wears many hats. She was the community relations and outreach and also philanthropy uh, head for the San Francisco 49ers, and then after that for the Golden State Warriors. She's a professor at Georgetown, is on the board of directors of the Special Olympics, and today we're going to talk a little bit about how sports can transform lives and how celebrities can anchor the conversation, convene, and ultimately improve the world around us. So, Joanne, welcome on board. Thank you, Alberto. It's great to chat with you today. Great. So tell me a little bit about sports. I see quite a few sports personalities have their own philanthropic endeavors, foundations. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about sports and the role it can play uh, to, uh, to improve the world around us. You know, I was introduced to sports at a very young age, and it helped me to overcome some um, challenges I had following a car accident and some injuries. And I found my way into the sport of figure skating. And figure skating changed my life built my self-confidence, gave me strength and um, the ability to learn from mistakes, to fall down and get back up again. But where I saw the intersection between sports and philanthropy first was when I was 14 years old and I was introduced to the Special Olympics. Mm -hmm. Um, Through the Special Olympics, I was able to start my coaching career at the age of 14. It's partnered up with a young woman. Um, The young woman and I said that we were exactly the same in terms of our likes and dislikes and um, just the way we carried ourselves. She just happened to have one extra chromosome, which made her just a little extra special. Um, My friend had Down syndrome, but yet that was essentially the only thing that differentiated us. Mm -hmm. When I saw how she grew through her participation in Special Olympics and um, how much of an impact it made, not just on her, but on me and around on those around us. I was really inspired and as a result, started to follow a path that um, took me to where I am today, which is looking at ways to highlight and amplify the impact that athletes can have on our community outreach efforts on building out philanthropy and on inspiring change. Fascinating. And tell me, how does this work? Is the sports personalities as individuals who move the conversation forward is it the teams? Because I know you were involved with the 49ers, mm-hmm. for instance. Is it at the team level mm-hmm. that most of the change happens? Is it a broader organizational, like the Special Olympics? What's driving what? Really, it's at the intersection of all of those. So the um, professional sports teams within the United States, and certainly very much so in Premier League and in other major sporting entities, uh, the philanthropic investment is front and center. As the world of sports business has evolved, it's become more and more prevalent to have a social responsibility platform integrated into a corporate partnership. So if you have a naming rights deal for a stadium, uh, you're going to see that it's not just about suites, seats, and signage, but it's also about giving back and doing something in tandem with the athletes and with the team in order to raise the visibility of your company logo, your company name, and your corporate reputation. So Where you see it the most, um, obviously, an individual athlete needs to feel compelled to do something um, in order for it to be successful. I look mostly for that authenticity and the authentic uh, connection between an athlete 
and the cause that they are supporting. So when you have an athlete who is driven to invest themselves in social change or an impact, and you have a company that is coming on board to support the efforts of the sports team and to be a corporate partner, and then you have a sports team that sees the relevancy of that and desires to amplify it, that's when you really have the perfect formula for success. So an example of that would be when I was with the San Francisco 49ers and we partnered with Chevron Corporation to build out a STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math leadership institute at one of our local schools, um, not too far from the stadium. And that, that marriage of the three organizations and the athletes who felt compelled and inspired to go into the classroom to show up and to support a curriculum around the science of football, looking at trajectory, momentum, drag, and other physics forces that were involved with the sport of American football um, was incredible. I mean, it made a difference. It inspired kids. And while we'd love to think that all of our young people are ready, willing, and able, and excited to learn every single day, there is something really special about adding their favorite sports team to the mix and using that as a way to open their eyes, gain their interest, and then teach from there. Definitely. And that specific scenario, that specific relationship between the 49ers and Chevron, how does that then materialize from an initial, yes, we want to do something together to focusing on STEM in a specific school or a specific school district? And is it an iterative process between the folks at Chevron and, and you and the team at the 49ers? Or do they come in and say, look, this is what really we want to do, make it happen? It really depends on the corporate partner. And this is where I'll put my professor hat on for a moment. But of course, I teach at Georgetown and also at the University of San Francisco focuses on how to build out the best philanthropic programming. The best programming is one where there is, again, that authenticity, the interest that exists and the desire to work together to amplify a particular cause. So it would be incongruous to have Chevron working on a breast cancer awareness campaign. However, to have Dignity Health or you know, a national health care provider coming in to amplify a message about the importance of early detection would make sense. And for your fan engagement component, which is all part of this, we're we're engaging in these activities. We're excited to be a part of them. We're honored to be a part of them. But we also want our fans to see that we are more than just a team putting a game out on a field. Um, the companies want to be known as socially responsible entities that aren't just trying to sell a product, but are trying to make the world a better place. And so when you find the right fit, which often happens through a series of conversations, usually are folks in corporate partnerships, the guys who sell the deals and sell the signs on the stadiums, um, they're involved. I would come to the table and talk about what was possible, what was um, reasonable, and how we could best execute on a mission or a vision around philanthropy. But we're looking for the intersection of all of that. So you're going to have the National Dairy Association talking about strong bones and cheese and getting out into the exercise uh, courts to stay physically fit. And you're also going to serve your cheese products at your stadium with a highlight for that program. But the greatest part about sports as a platform, and obviously the nonprofits are the ones, the, the philanthropic organizations are the ones doing the real work. Um, they're out there, they know the people, they know the communities they're serving, they develop the curriculum or the messaging 
what what we're able to do in the world of sports is to broaden the audience, have people sit up and pay attention. And when we leverage our um, stadium assets, so for example, if you have a huge video board, uh, my husband's with the San Jose Earthquakes, which is a professional soccer team here in um, California, mm-hmm. and they have the largest outdoor LED display. But when they put something on that display that is philanthropic in nature and highlights that intersection, the fans are engaged. They're looking up. They're they're learning more about the team, the company, the sponsor, and the players who are involved in that initiative. And our hope is that at the end they have a better feeling about that more more of an affinity for that product more of affinity for the team and the player and then hopefully that helps us to increase revenue generation as well so it's it's a mutually beneficial relationship and on the authenticity part here's i'll throw mm-hmm. something to play devil's advocate a little bit isn't it just about the optics isn't it just about the charm offensive and uh, and looking good in the, <laughs> in the media what do you say to that I think that most people are smart enough to see right through that. And quite frankly, my objective when I was embedded within the teams, when I worked with the Golden State Warriors or with the San Francisco 49ers or the work that I've done with other teams, other athletes and individual athletes, it is so much better, so much more sustainable when you actually take the time to figure out which causes are most um, important to the individuals you're looking to engage in those activities. So at the beginning of each season, when I was with the 49ers or when I was with the Warriors, we would sit down individually with the players and ask them, what is it that you like to do? What causes are important to you? We'd give them a very simple questionnaire with check boxes and mm-hmm. they could tick off, you know, they were interested in after school programming for at-risk youth. Their grandmother had breast cancer and that was a cause that was important to them. Um, They were concerned about environmental sustainability. And based off of those surveys and aggregating that data into a spreadsheet, we could look and say, all right, we're doing a visit to hospital um, in awareness of the prevalence of childhood cancer, which guys have indicated they are really drawn into that cause, Um, who has a really good story to tell. And ultimately, I always think of myself as a storyteller because I'm or really an interviewer. I'm almost like a journalist where I'm looking for the most compelling and authentic story. And um, so not every guy's going to get excited about every cause. Not every guy's going to be able to speak eloquently about every cause. It's, it's doing that matchmaking and finding the right person, the right cause and the right company to come together and speak on the cause. I have found over my time in this field that, um, the vast majority of the athletes are so excited to be role models and completely understand what that means that even when they have a misstep, their first thought is, have I disappointed my fans? Have I done something that will upset the youngest of my fans or set a bad example? And they are the ones who are stepping forward to say, I really am sorry that that happened. And I'd like to do something to help build the confidence back in my fans, particularly the youngest ones, so that they see me as a good person, a good human. Yeah. And I imagine a lot of the times an organization like the 49ers is the organization introducing these young men into philanthropy for the first time. 
one of the great things about sport is that it gets you out in front of folks doing philanthropic work at a much younger age than you might otherwise be exposed to it. So, and it's, and it's in the simplest of forms sometimes. Uh, how many of us have played on a team where you were the most experienced or the oldest and there were people who were just stepping onto the field or the court or the ice for the first time and um, they need a mentor. And so that's one of the things that I speak with the um, athletes I work with about is when was the first time you were mentoring somebody? When was the first time you helped somebody? What did you do as a youngster where you were supporting somebody who was in need or comforting a friend who had just missed the game winning goal, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so knitting together the basic elements that make us good people and good community citizens and ascribing those to like philanthropy doesn't have to be a formal project done with an NGO or a, or a nonprofit entity. It's again, it's just being a good person, a good community steward. Yeah. In terms of the life transition, life stages of an mm-hmm. individual, you have someone coming in, they're maybe coming straight out of college, very young, all of a sudden it's a huge inflow of cash very quickly. Then also the shelf life of a professional sports athlete isn't forever. So after mm-hmm. a few years, you actually step down from that stage and you progress through life doing something a little bit different. What can you tell me about that transition from being at the peak of your game and then retiring? What role does philanthropy have with that individual as they transition from professional sports into being an average civilian? My goodness, it's the hardest thing. Um, it's the transition between college, university, or um, having been a, a star player at you know through your teenage years, through your youth, to a professional athlete where there is an expectation that you're going to not just um, get out on the field and play at your best and your highest level, but you're the you're the often the person who's going to save your family. So many of the guys I've worked with over the years have come from low income home life situations. Mm -hmm. They've come from difficult paths, not everybody, but certainly a lot of them. And they are the one who carries that weight on their shoulders of lifting their entire family up. That comes with a ton of pressure. So the average national football league career is I think somewhere between three, four years. And so if you can imagine a young man who maybe leaves university a year early or even completes it, he's 21, he's 22. He plays on a team for a couple of years. He has moderate to low success, which is the, for the majority of the guys. And then at 25, he's booted out into the real world. And because the league minimum in terms of salary is not the salary that you think of when you think of professional athletes, they don't have enough reserves to be able to have a sustained income stream for the rest of their lives. They need to figure out who they're going to be and how they're going to redefine themselves, what they're going to do next. So that's why we see such a prevalence of former professional athletes who end up spiraling a bit. Because if you've been known as the superstar from the day you put your first pair of cleats on, and now all of a sudden you're trying to redefine yourself, it's this loss of identity that can be really jarring. And so one of the elements that I absolutely love focusing in on with just your average Joe, like not the guy who's going to be in the Hall of Fame, 
but the guy who has to go get a job, like a real job, mm-hmm. maybe he's going to be a high school football coach or he's going to work at Home Depot or, you know, something like that, um, is to stop and remind them of how the skills they've developed on the field and off the field through philanthropy will help them to make that transition. Um, leadership and talking about how comfortable they are with public speaking, how they are good with diverse audiences and the stick-to-itiveness that comes with playing in professional sports or really sports at any level of getting knocked down and getting back up again. Mm-hmm. Philanthropy can help them with that transition. Um, but perhaps most importantly, it helps them to have a sustained identity. And if they falter, and this is a story that's been told over and over, but I have seen it firsthand. One of my very closest friends in the world is a man who played for the 49ers, had a career-ending injury at the peak of his game, right after winning a Super Bowl, and he was devastated. And as a result of that injury and the loss of his identity and the loss of his football career, he really lost sight of who he was and where he was going and ended up with addictions, losing his marriage, And when I met him, he was just starting his journey back to Mm -hmm. sobriety. That was 10 years ago. And by working with him on having him go out and share his story, destigmatizing what he had gone through and helping him to feel like he was giving back, he slowly rebuilt his self-confidence, slowly found his path back. And today he is he's one of my heroes. I literally adore this man. And he, um, he's married to an amazing woman. He's back in the lives of his children. They love him. His ex-wife loves him. And he's a guy you'll see in the community multiple times a week. It keeps him going. And as he says, it keeps him on the right path Mm. because he knows that he owes it not just to himself, but to the kids and the adults who are looking to him for guidance as they go through their own demons. Yeah. And you mentioned the community a few times. And uh, mm-hmm. how does a team engage with its community? Well, every team has an opportunity to engage with their community in a different way. It depends on the league, the type of team it is, the stature of the team. When you're a winning team, everybody would love to have a piece of you. Um, when sure. I was with the Golden State Warriors and we had these, these gentlemen that even over in the UK, you can find posters of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and um, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant. Uh, these guys are larger than life, but in person, they are some of the most generous humans I have ever come in contact with. Um, so their community and their reach is large. But for the Golden State Warriors, the focus is on the local community, meaning the San Francisco Bay Area, where the um, team lives, works, and plays. And so typically teams will focus on a geographic region that is within the scope of their influence and in close proximity to where they train or where they play their games. Mm -hmm. Um, That is because there are so many teams and really it's a divide and conquer sort of uh, philosophy where we're going to focus on the community right around us. We're going to let the other teams focus on the communities around them. But then there are these amazing moments where we get to come together. One example a few years back was when the season for basketball was just about to um, kick off and there were hurricanes that swept through the southern part of the United States and devastated Florida and 
Texas and other areas. For the opening game of the season, the Golden State Warriors were playing the team from Houston, Texas. And we went on a mission together with them to address the challenges that the city was facing and rebuilding after tremendous flooding. And collaboratively, uh, both teams raised money um, and brought visibility to the need to help our neighbors and to help those who are in need outside of our neighborhood. Um, right in the middle of all of that, there were wildfires sweeping through Northern California, which were impacting many people affiliated with the Golden State Warriors and really our whole community could feel it. And the team from Texas stepped up and said, what can we do to help you now? Hmm. And those are the moments where you just, you feel your heart grow a little bit larger as, uh, sure. as the Grinch would say in the, in the movie. It's just, it, it's incredible because we're all just holding hands and working through it together. Um, my uh, former boss and one of my heroes and mentors, Dr. John York, a number of years ago when Hurricane Katrina essentially buried New Orleans underwater, New Orleans, Louisiana mm -hmm. underwater, John just in his heart knew that there was something that had to be done. He reached out to his counterpart at the New Orleans Saints asking what they could do to be supportive and also what could we do to not uh, usurp some of the influence that they have in their own community. So in other words, we weren't trying to steal any of the visibility or to take that visibility for our own coming into their community, but we were playing the New Orleans Saints and we played the New Orleans Saints pretty regularly. And so starting with that year, we visited a high school that had been completely underwater and started doing projects. So every time we flew into New Orleans, we would go over and visit that school and do something, whether it was building out a science lab, painting the lockers, um, stocking the library, doing gardening. And eventually John York, who is a medical doctor as well, decided to underwrite a medical clinic for the students there because he found out that they were desperately in need of basic essential medical care. Um, their community had lost so many residents and doctors and others who had evacuated and really had not returned. And I don't think I've ever been more proud than when we mm. opened that center up and I saw right there in the middle of New Orleans Saints territory where it is all day, every day about their teams. They love their teams in Louisiana. Mm. We had a bunch of fans of the Saints who told us that they were embracing the 49ers as a favorite team. But more importantly, they were grateful for what we'd done. And so in the middle of Saints country, you have this beautiful red and gold medical center um, in the 49ers team colors. And I, I know that John York has yet to miss an opportunity to go and visit that school. Ah, that's great. That's absolutely great. And tell me, so uh, there's a lot of collaboration between the different teams. What about at the league level itself? So the mm -hmm. NFL, the NBA, is there much going on at the league level? Oh my goodness, there's a ton going on. Um, we have been so fortunate within the leagues to have individuals who are brilliant and driven and excited to do this work who have risen to the highest of uh, levels of influence within the leagues and are able to drive forward social impact programming and to allow those to trickle down into the local clubs. But they also provide funding, supplemental funding to support programming that they are pushing out into the communities. So for example, we'll go to the um, National Basketball Association, the NBA, mm -hmm. uh, 
Todd Jacobson, Kathy Behrens are two of the most incredible people in this field. And um, they develop and strategize around concepts that would be universal to National Basketball League. So elements like getting youth engaged in fitness through basketball, that might be something that Mm -hmm. would be obvious. But what wouldn't be obvious is how can basketball help to create environmental sustainability? What does it mean to create a new basketball court for the resurgence of a community and to bring a community together to create more of a peaceful environment? Um, And through their MBA CARES program, they have developed some of the most incredible um, programming. And every NBA club, whether you're the, the Golden State Warriors or the New Orleans Pelicans or the Atlanta Hawks, you're receiving funding from the National Basketball Association to support their conceptualization of how we can best engage in philanthropy as a whole. And we recognize that in aggregate, we're able to do so much more. Uh, another example of a great program is um, the National Football League and their Salute to Service program, where all of the teams are coming together to honor military during um, the time of the year, well, all year long, but really during the time of the year in November, when in the U.S. it's uh, an opportunity for us to pause and thank our veterans, thank those who have served in the military. And across every league, you see activations to share their stories, to do good work, and to um, come together as leagues in order to thank those who give us the opportunity to go out and throw a ball around or kick a ball around and play. Um, and um, and that's exactly how we see it. Is But for those folks who are out there serving, we don't get to do what we love to do. Mm. And coordinating all of this must be a little bit of a challenge sometimes, I imagine, because you have, I guess, you have the philanthropy and, and community relations folks at the league level, at the team level, and then the players themselves have their own foundations a lot of the time. Is it like herding cats? <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's interesting. When I was in the NBA, I had some of the greatest superstars in the National Basketball Association on the team. Some of the greatest philanthropists I have had the opportunity to work with. Kevin Durant made a $10 million donation to create an after-school education program in his hometown outside of Washington, D.C. Mm. That's incredible, and that's uh, it was driven forward by him, by his commitment to his hometown. It was outside of our geographic service area, but whatever we could do to support Kevin and to amplify what he was doing via our um, website, via our media contacts, and just by showcasing what he was doing in the best possible light, it gave us a chance to connect with him in an area that was of great importance to him. Um, The guys in the NBA were terrific about showing up for the team orchestrated events. We would have an event or two, essentially every week. Um, In the NFL, we had a specific day that was dedicated for our community outreach activities. Players are encouraged in the NFL to participate. And during my nine years with the 49ers, we had 100% of players show up voluntarily to participate in one or more community events during the course of the year, five years running. And they showed up, they rolled their sleeves up, they got to work, and they had a lot of fun. Mm. Um, 
I found that the most important component of that collaboration was to make sure that I kept my promises to the guys. We arrived on time. We left on time. The activities were what we had said they would be. And we made sure that from a media perspective that they were comfortable and that even if we were coming off of a loss the day before or even a few losses in a row, that um, they could feel comfortable knowing that this was a safe environment where they were going to be highlighting what they did philanthropically. So that was a great way to get them engaged. And frankly, we made it really easy. It was show up with your sneakers and uh, we're going to take care of the rest. Um, And off we go. And then as you're thinking about the league programming, they did not dictate how we were doing what we were doing. They just suggested that we focus on certain subject areas and then gave us some guidelines that we could follow as closely as we wished. And then the funding to support that, which, of course, anytime you receive funding, it's great encouragement to do something. Um, But every year in all of the leagues, there's a convening for the individuals who serve in their roles at each of the teams. So in the NFL, there are 32 people who are heading up philanthropy for the NFL teams. We would meet in February every single year for three days and dive deeply into what we were doing, what was working, what wasn't working at the club level, at the league level. And then we would receive an introduction to some of the issues that the league was looking to address. And we would offer our insight and say, that's terrific, but you're in New York, you're in a high-rise building, and you're not interacting with the athletes every single day like we are. That is not going to work. We need to pivot. And um, to their credit, Anna Isaacson at the NFL, um, Alexia Gallagher, and then also Todd and, and his whole team at the NBA, they listened. They listened. They they were thoughtful and um, they became incredibly close friends, not just colleagues, but they're, they're people where even not working in the league, I will call them for advice. They will call me for advice um, because yeah. it's an openness of conversation. And that's, that's important because if you're, if you're going out there just doing what you think athletes want or making assumptions, it's just like anything. I mean, you don't even pack your child's lunch for the day without asking them what they're in the mood for. Why would you assume that somebody wants to volunteer their time in a specific way without asking them? Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, I think that peer-to-peer exchange and just learning from other folks who are in the same position in other organizations is um, invaluable, right? And they're exposed to the mm-hmm. same sort of dynamics that you are. I remember when I was running the Novak Djokovic Foundation, talking to the folks at Andre Agassi's or Rafa Nadal's foundation, very useful. Very, very useful. You know, you bring, you bring up a, sorry, I'm going to go back to tennis for a second there. You brought up a very interesting component and in, in a good case study. I, I have a younger brother who was a college baseball player and is now a high school teacher and baseball coach. He happens to be the head of baseball at the Andre Agassi School in right. Las Vegas. But here's the interesting component about that. The assumption would be that the Andre Agassi School would have a tennis program. Mm-hmm. But for Andre, it was actually critical that it focus on science, technology, engineering, math, all sports, and that it not be centered around tennis and that kids not be drawn to the school because of tennis. And so, again, if somebody had assumed and made a donation or built the school without actually talking to Andre, they probably would have built a school that had a whole lot of tennis courts. But because they talked to him and because he was actively involved and engaged, the school has the focus that he wanted it to have. And that's really the true measure of success in philanthropy is 
did you set, did you complete what you set out to do? Did you listen to the person or the people who were creating the momentum or the financial um, wherewithal to be able to do that programming? And did it have the desired outcome? So you can take a million dollars and give five full college scholarships, university scholarships to five outstanding young people who have come from the worst possible circumstances and feel very successful. But if the individual or the corporation who gave you the million dollars wanted you to underwrite athletics and schools for an entire school district, have you actually been successful in achieving those objectives? You've achieved an objective, but not necessarily the one that you were sent out to do. So for me, it always starts with asking a lot of questions, whiteboarding, um, sitting down, doing research. I come from a long, long line of librarians, my grandpa, right. my mother, my sister. <laughs> research is key. And um, as my grandpa said, when uh, Google was first introduced, he said, don't confuse Google with knowledge. It's information. And um, I, I use Google all the time, but I also remember to stop and look people in the eyes and say, what's important to you? Yes, 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 yes. So right now that you're no longer in the leagues, um, what, what, what are you really excited about right now? What, what does success look like to you in the next 10 years? You know, it's interesting. I was at the Beyond Sport Gathering in New York just a couple months ago. And um, while we were sitting around a table talking about the UN um, sustainability goals, we were applying each and every one of them through the lens of sport and looking at how sport could have an influence and an impact. So whether it was um, pure sustainability, environmentalism, or eradication of crime in inner city environments, um, literacy rates, maternal health, it really did not matter. Every single one could be enhanced in some way through the lens of sport. And so as I look forward for the next 10 years, I'm excited to work with athletes who seem in my eyes and in my experience over the last 20 years to be more and more focused on not just getting out there and playing a game, but thinking about what they can do off the field, off the pitch, off the yeah. court to make a difference in their communities and to leverage their celebrity to make the world a better place. And that's really inspiring. But the thing that I am most excited about is very recently, there was a lot of visibility around Fortune 500 CEOs going into New York and standing up and saying, right now, today, it's up to us as the holders of so much of the wealth in the world to invest in social change, social impact, and to take a look at the issues that are glaring right at us right now and for us to put that at the forefront. And as somebody who works in the field of social responsibility and who has worked with you know, one of the great growing global companies, uh, head of global impact for ServiceNow, um, and in that role saw from the corporate lens what it looks like to have nearly 10,000 employees in 80 cities around the world and pulling them together through that shared value of making the world a better place. Mm. And, um, and seeing the CEOs standing up and being eyeball to eyeball with CEOs and understanding that they mean it when they say it is so inspiring to me. And I just, honestly, I, I can't wait to get involved. And I am so excited about the next 10 years and taking the experience that I've had over 20 years and applying it, 
but working side by side with people who are just as passionate as I am about doing this type of work because it's fun. It's exciting. It's incredibly challenging when you're working in professional sports and you're working in one of these roles, it, it is not unusual to work over a hundred hours in a week, but it does not feel like work because every day you can see the difference you're making, whether it's through a hospital visit and seeing a, a child who has cancer smiling and giggling like a child again, or whether it's going out to a shelter and cooking a meal with the residents. It's about dignity. It's about connections. And it's about all of us being a part of the fabric of humanity. Oh, that's great. Tell me, what's the key takeaway for our listeners that you'd like to, uh, to share? Well, I've done a whole lot of talking today, Alberto, but the key takeaway for me is listen. Just, just listen. And my, my personal mantra is find a way to say yes. It's so easy to come up with excuses why you can't do something. But when I look at the way that the athletes I've worked with comport themselves, and how much they have on their plates and how much pressure they have. When they find a way to say yes, they're empowering everybody around them. Uh, my father, my hero, has late stage Alzheimer's. My dad always said to me when I was growing up, people always have time and money for what's really important to them. So when somebody gives you their time, they're telling you that you're important. And so think about that and think about what you're saying yes and no to and what the message you're conveying is because of that. So I just encourage people to take time to pause, to think about how they can say yes. And if they have to say no, don't just say no, but say no, but here's another resource for you. No, but here's a way that we can help. And um, just little by little, we're able to do this together, but we have to listen to each other. That's absolutely great. Joanne, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. A lot of interesting points that we covered today. It's been a pleasure and very enlightening. Oh, well, thank you. And I, um, Alberto, I can't wait to get back to London. It is one of my favorite cities in the world and um, really enjoyed the opportunity we had when we met um, way back when the 49ers were playing in the International Series at Wembley. And um, just thank you for having this podcast. Thank you for all the terrific material. I am a subscriber and a listener. And uh, now very honored to be a participant. So, oh, that's um, great. Thank you all. That's very good. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic to think more about sustainability and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.